We're going to jump into our message now, and I want to say up front that uh, today's message is a little bit longer than I would have preferred, especially for an online service, uh, but we are beginning a brand new series, and so it's really important for us to do a good introduction at the beginning of that. So. I want to say up front that it might be a little bit longer uh, than is preferable watching this on a screen, uh, but the reality is that uh, unlike when we're together on Sunday, I'm not going to know if you're going to nod off there a little bit, so uh, feel free and uh, hopefully we'll be able to get through this together and hopefully we'll be engaging enough to keep you with us. The series that we're beginning is called Blueprint and uh, we're going to spend the next number of weeks digging into the book of First Thessalonians. We've got a reading plan, as I mentioned earlier, that we're going to be going through starting from tomorrow as well, uh, which will be available also on our Facebook page, and uh, you would have received that by email last week. And so I'm really hoping that we can dig ourselves into this amazing letter that Paul wrote uh, to one of the early churches. And I've called it Blueprint because it is a blueprint for us as a really, really healthy church about the things that we can hold on to and value together. So as I said, uh, this letter that we're looking at is First Thessalonians. It was written by Paul, who wrote First and Second Thessalonians, but also wrote a lot of the rest of the New Testament. And so just as a reminder to kind of zoom out a little bit in terms of the structure of the Bible, the Bible is more like a library rather than a single book. There are lots of different types of literature that are a part of the Bible. And uh, particularly in the New Testament, what we see from the time when Jesus arrives is that we have the four biographies about Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then that transitions into the life of the early church in the book of Acts, where we read about the way in which the early church expanded. And Paul was this really key figure in that who went to lots and lots of different places, lots and lots of different cities uh, to establish churches to help people to discover the message of Jesus and what it looks like for them to gather together around that. Paul then, as he moved on, would then write letters back to those different churches. And the majority of what we've got in the rest of the New Testament is these letters that Paul wrote to churches to help them stay on track, to remind them about really important things, uh, to bring some correction where that's necessary. And so First Thessalonians is one of those letters. It was written to the church in a city called Thessalonica, which is modern-day Thessalonicae, uh, in the country of Greece. So that city still exists today. And uh, you can see on the map that it's a really, really important town. It was uh, a port town uh, that was in the Roman province of Macedonia. It was actually the capital of Macedonia. And it was this port on the Aegean Sea at the crossroads of two really important routes that were connecting Rome uh, out in the west to Constantinople in the east. And so it was a really key point for Paul to be able to say, if Jesus' message can get understood here, then it can get taken all the way across west to Rome, and it can get taken all the way east to Constantinople and everywhere in between. Thessalonica was a really significant cultural and economic city of about 200,000 people. And in Acts chapter 17, which I'd encourage you to have a look at this week, uh, we read the story of Paul and his friends, uh, two of the other key leaders in the early church, Silas and Timothy, go on a journey and they end up in Thessalonica. From there, they tell people about Jesus and a bunch of people re really resonate with that. And in particular, a number of the Greek people resonate with it, people who are non-Jewish people. And some of the Jewish leaders weren't terribly thrilled about that. And so they stirred up a whole bunch of trouble for Paul and Silas and Timothy, so much so that they ended up having to flee the city. They move on to a couple of other cities and then Paul wants to find out a little bit about how this new church that's been planted there and these new people who are following Jesus are getting on. And so he sends Timothy on a road trip back 
to Thessalonica to find out a little bit of what's going on and we'll read a bit more about that as we get into the letter. By the time Timothy then catches up with Paul, he's moved on to Corinth, and that's our understanding, is that this letter was written while Paul was in Corinth in about AD 51. It's understood that this was probably one of the first letters that Paul wrote. Uh, Some people would say maybe Galatians was written slightly earlier, but it's certainly one of the first two letters uh, that Paul wrote as he began to establish himself as this key leader in the early church. And it's good for us to remind ourselves about the way in which the first people who had this letter would have processed the information. It would have been written as a letter by Paul that would have been delivered to them, and then someone would have stood up in a gathering and read the whole letter out. Now, as we're going to see in the next few weeks, there's a fair bit that Paul puts into this letter, and so it might have been a little bit overwhelming for them to hear all of this information the first time. But what they would have done is then gone back and they would have looked at it bit by bit and said, okay, what's Paul mean here and how does that apply to us? And they would have spent a lot of time talking about that and saying, oh yeah, we need to adjust this or we need to think about that differently. And that's a great reminder to us because it's really easy for us to just get focused on our Bibles and to say, I'm going to read my Bible and read the things that God says to me and that's kind of it. But that's not at all the way that this, especially the letters, were written. They were written to a group of people with an expectation that they would gather together and unpack that together. Now, obviously, we can't gather together at the moment, uh, but as the next few weeks roll on, we hope that we will be able to. And that's going to be an important part of what we do is to unpack the things that we're learning together in the same way that the Thessalonians would have. This letter had a lot of really, really key information in it that would have uh, really helped the Thessalonians in their early journey. Paul talks about how there was some false teaching that had infiltrated the church a little bit and was dragging people away from keeping themselves centred on the message of Jesus. Uh, Paul writes a lot about encouraging them in the midst of their struggles and their suffering and the challenges that they're going through, and so we'll see a little bit about that. Paul reinforces the importance of understanding that they are a spiritual family as a church that's gathered together. And he talks a lot about some of the struggles that they experience as they're trying to make this decision to leave, uh, to live a Jesus-centered life rather than to live by the cultural norms around them. And a big part of what we'll see in this letter is that Paul tries to spend a bit of time helping them to understand the implications of Jesus' return. And as we talked about in a Q&A Sunday a long time ago, uh, that was kind of complex in terms of all the different understandings about what Jesus might do when he comes back and how that's all going to play out. But there was a couple of particular things that had been misunderstood and misinterpreted that Paul corrects in that. So I hope that you can see that for us, this is really, really helpful because all of those things are important things for us to chew on as well. What are the things that get in the way of us being able to understand the message of Jesus and the centrality of Jesus to that message of faith, hope, and love? How can we be encouraged when we go through difficult times, when we're struggling, when we go through situations that are really, really hard? How does the message of Jesus really help us to be able to get through those times? What does it look like for us to continue to understand the importance of being spiritual family? How do we work through the choices that we've got to make about what it means to live a Jesus-centered life as opposed to the cultural norms that are all around us? And what are the implications about Jesus coming back? What does that mean and what does that look like for us? As you can see, all of those things are still super, super relevant for us 2,000 years later. And so uh, I'm really excited for us to jump in to this series and to explore this beautiful blueprint of what a healthy church can be. So, 
We're going to begin at the very beginning. Hopefully you've got your Bible open up to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, or you've gone over to the Bible tab just over to the side there, and uh, you've opened that up to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, and we're going to begin at verse 1. 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 1. This letter is from Paul, Silas, and Timothy. We're writing to the church in Thessalonica, to you who belong to God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. May God give you grace and peace. Now it's good for us to just pause here and remind ourselves about the meaning of this word church that Paul uses at the beginning of his letter. The original word that was used for church is the word ecclesia. And we've talked a lot before about how the word ecclesia, the best meaning that I've ever heard, is that it's a gathering of people with a purpose. Gathering of people with a purpose. And this was a term that was just floating around in general society in Paul's day. Uh, it was kind of like if you called a town hall meeting for people to come together to be able to talk about the things that affected their village or their city or their town and to make decisions about how you move forward together. That was an ecclesia. And so this was a general term that was floating around. And the people who were following Jesus in the early days adopted that word and said, well, that's what we're doing when we get together. We are having ecclesia as well. We're gathering together as people with a purpose. Our purpose is to focus on God, to remind ourselves about all that Jesus has done for us and to make decisions about how to live together. And so that's the word. It's not church was never supposed to be about a building. It was never supposed to be about a program was always supposed to be about a group of people who were gathering together for a specific purpose. Paul then continues writing in verse 2, We always thank God for all of you and pray for you constantly. As we pray to our God and Father about you, we think of your faithful work, your loving deeds, and the enduring hope that you have because of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's really powerful here and a great reminder, I don't know about you, but I love it when someone sends me a message and says, I've been thinking of and praying for you. There's something that strengthens us, encourages us, inspires us, helps us to move forward when we know that people are praying for us. And certainly for the Thessalonians to hear Paul say, we've been thinking about you, we're praying for you, would have been really, really helpful. I want to encourage you to think about, especially as we're in this lockdown season, who can you be thinking of and praying for? Is there someone that comes to mind even right now that later on today you can take some time to pray for them and then send them a message and say, hey, I've been thinking of and praying for you. As we spend this time where we're separated physically, can we continue to remind ourselves that we're connected spiritually by being able to say, I'm thinking of and praying for you. But Paul then gives them this amazing tribute where he says, we think about your faithful work, your loving deeds, and your enduring hope your faithful work, your loving deeds, and your enduring hope. And as I've been thinking about this this week, I've been challenged about whether people could say that about me. Is that true in terms of the way that I live my life? That people would point to me and say, yes, I can see that you're someone who works faithfully and works with a sense of trust in who Jesus is. That all of the things that you do, all of the deeds that you do, I know that they're based in love. And I know that you have this amazing enduring hope that especially when you go through difficult times, you have something bigger to hold on to that helps you to get through the challenges that you face. I wonder whether Paul would write these things to us if he was writing a letter to us as a church. Would he say to us that we think so much about your faithful work, about your loving deeds, about your enduring hope? It's a beautiful set of principles, and as we're going to see as we go through today and through the rest of the letter, it's really based in the three core things that, uh, that Paul talks about that are a part of Jesus' message. Faith, love, 
and hope. We'll come back to that in a little while. Paul then continues in verse 4 and he says, We know, dear brothers and sisters, that God loves you and has chosen you to be his own people. This again is just a beautiful sense of what's core to what we believe. What happens if every day we get up and we just believe those two things above everything else? That we are loved by God and that we are chosen by God. If we started every day from that posture, what would happen to our identity, to our sense of self-esteem, to the way that we would connect with other people, to the choices that we would make? It's a beautiful summary where Paul says, like, you're loved and you're chosen. Those are really, really important things to be able to understand. Then in verse 5, Paul says, For when we brought you the good news, it was not only with words, but also with power. For the Holy Spirit gave you full assurance that what we said was true. And you know of our concern for you from the way we lived when we were with you. Paul's really quick to reinforce here that they brought the message of the good news of Jesus. And when we talk about the word gospel, that's what we're really meaning. The word gospel means good news. And our understanding is of the good news of the message of Jesus. That Jesus has come to show us what God is like, to show us what love looks like, to show us how to live the way that we were always created to live and to do everything necessary for us to be able to experience that. And so Paul says, we came to share that message with you, but it wasn't just with words was more than words, which is the title of today's message. Paul and his friends showed the message of Jesus in the way that they lived their life. And I want to just do a quick shout out to the message that we had from Adrian Clark a couple of weeks ago, because he did an amazing job of summing all of this up. He talked about what the gospel is, the good news of Jesus that can be summarized as God is love. But he also did a really amazing job to talk about exactly what Paul's saying here. That understanding the message of Jesus means that we choose to live love. And so if you missed that message or you want to be reminded of it, I encourage you to go back, have a look at it on our YouTube channel, have a listen to it on our podcast because it really sums up exactly what Paul's saying here really beautifully. Verse 6, Paul then writes, So you received the message with joy from the Holy Spirit, in spite of the suffering, severe suffering that it brought you. In this way, you imitated both us and the Lord. This is where I always get a little bit challenged about how much I'm embracing the message of Jesus. Does the message of Jesus just bring joy into my life when things are going well? Or is it a message of joy when I'm going through difficult times and when I'm experiencing suffering in all sorts of different ways? Are we willing to make the choice to embrace the message of Jesus and to embrace joy even when we go through really, really hard times? And now is a great time for us to be wrestling with exactly that question. Because Paul says when we choose to do that, we're actually imitating Jesus. who came to bring us this message of joy, this good news message that's filled with faith, love and hope. But he did it in a way where he endured an incredible amount of suffering. And for Paul and the other leaders in the early church, they also did the same thing. They brought the message of Jesus even in the midst of incredible suffering with this sense of incredible joy. And Paul says to the Thessalonians, I know you're going through some hard times, but it's so awesome to be able to see that the message of Jesus is continuing to bring joy into your lives and the choices that you make. He then continues in verse 7 and says, As a result, you've become an example to all the believers in Greece throughout both Macedonia uh, Macedonia and Acacia. And now the word of the Lord is ringing out from you to people everywhere, even beyond Macedonia and Acacia. 
for wherever we go, we find people telling us about your faith in God. We don't need to te- them to tell us about it, for they keep talking about the wonderful welcome that you gave us and how you turned away from idols to serve the living and true God. Paul paints these really beautiful pictures here. There are two key images that he uses in what he says about the Thessalonians. First of all, he talks about them being an example, and then he talks about how the message of Jesus rings out from them. And he says, wherever we go, so this isn't just like in your church, and not even just in like your neighborhood, but in the whole city, and as Timothy's wandering around and visiting other cities, in other cities around the place, what you're doing is making a huge difference because of the example that you're setting and because the message of Jesus is ringing out from the way in which you're living your life. Now, the example that you're setting, the words that Paul uses there are actually the equivalent of a die that is used to put an imprint on metal. So we can think about the idea of a coin. It's just a piece of metal that's used, but then an imprint, a die is put on there to create a coin. And that is consistent over and over again so that it's the same thing. We might use a more modern example to talk about a pattern to be able to make a piece of clothing. So a pattern can be used so that you can create the same thing over and over again, or a recipe so that we can create the same food over and over again. And Paul says, you're living in such a way that you're setting an example. You're setting a pattern, a recipe for other people to be able to follow. In the way that you're following Jesus and in the way that you're following us, You're setting such an awesome example that people can live the life that you're living and end up being like Jesus, which is really, really awesome and amazing. But then he says, the message of Jesus, because of the example that you're setting and because of the way that you're living, is ringing out. And the imagery here is like a trumpet blast or a big clap of thunder that then echoes and reverberates around. It's not just that single note, but a boom, and then it kind of carries on beyond that. That's what Paul says the example that they're setting is allowing the message of Jesus to ring out, to reverberate, to echo into all of the different places around. I'm really challenged about that for us as a church. Are we living that out? Are we an example that other people can follow? If people chose to live the way that we're living, would they end up being patterned after Jesus? And as a church, are we living in such a way that the message of Jesus is ringing out, resounding, going and echoing around into the neighborhoods, the streets, the communities around us because of the way that we're living? It's a beautiful picture and something that I want us to continue to challenge ourselves about as we move into the second half of this year. Well, Paul finishes things off in verse 10, where he says, And they speak of how you're looking forward to the coming of God's Son from heaven, Jesus whom God raised from the dead. He's the one who has rescued us from the terrors of the coming judgment. Paul says that the Thessalonians, and this is something he's going to come back to a number of times, are looking forward to Jesus' return. There's this hope and this expectation of what's going to happen when Jesus eventually comes back. Now, as I said, there's a lot of confusion floating around about that and what that looks like exactly. And so we'll come back to that throughout this series. But the important thing to hold on to today is this confident expectation that they've got, that this isn't the end, that the suffering, the challenges that they're going through, the difficult times that they're facing are not the end of the story. That the end of the story is that we ultimately get scooped up with Jesus to be able to live the way that God always wanted us to live. That's our final destination. And so that's the confident hope that we hold on to and that we yearn for and look for. 
We're not people who place our hope in money. We're not people who place our hope in things. We're not people who place our hope in other types of security. We're not even people who place our hopes in other people. We place our hope firmly in Jesus. And in doing so, we're then able to ride through the difficult times that happen. We're able to have patience, to have endurance, to have perseverance, to keep going, even when life is really, really challenging. So I don't know whether you've picked up on the three key themes that Paul has already unpacked here that flow throughout the rest of this letter and flow throughout most of what Paul writes. Faith, love, and hope. Now we often talk about them as faith, hope, and love because that's where it's translated in some other places. But I think that being able to think about it as faith and love and hope is really, really helpful because that's really what the message of Jesus is all about. Faith is about trusting in Jesus, trusting that Jesus is who he says that he is, that Jesus has done what he says that he has done, and that we are who we are because of Jesus. That's all wrapped up in this word, faith. Love means that we receive the love that has been given to us and we then pass that love on to other people. And then hope is what we've just talked about, that our hope is in Jesus and what he has already accomplished and what he is going to accomplish at the end of time. That's the core of the message of Jesus. That's the core of who we should be as a church. That's why we talk about being Jesus-centered. That's the faith component, that we want to put all of our trust in Jesus. We want to emphasize love. That's why we talk about being a spiritual family. And we want to have a sense of hope that God is at work, that God is transforming us, that God is restoring us, that God is doing an amazing work to see people's lives changed and turned around. And all of that is based in Jesus. Our trust is in Jesus. Our love comes from Jesus that then flows out. And our hope is in Jesus. And especially when we go through challenging times like we are right now, it's really important to just come back to the simplicity and the importance of those three components. Faith, love, and hope. At the end of the day, that's what we need to focus on. That's what we need to be passionate about. That's what we need to do. But more than that, it needs to dictate the way that we live our lives. As I mentioned earlier, the theme of this message is more than words. And as Paul talks about earlier, he shows us that Jesus came not just to share the message of faith, hope and love, just a bunch of words and ideas and concepts that we can choose to believe or not. But Jesus came to live those things out. And Paul and the people in the early church did the same thing. They didn't just bring the message of Jesus in a kind of set of statements that you can choose to take or leave, but they lived these things out. You could tell in the way that they lived that they had faith, that they were focused on love, and that they were focused on hope. So I want to give us an opportunity to be able to do a bit of reflecting on that as we wrap up our message and get ready to transition across to communion. What does it look like for us to live out faith, hope and love what does it look like for us to embrace these concepts but to allow that to flow into actions now it's a bit of a challenge for us to think about that at the moment because we're in lockdown and so there's only limited space for us to be able to do it but we can think about that in terms of the people that we are connecting with right now the people who are in our household or if we are living on our own the people that we're kind of connecting with hopefully making phone calls or checking in with the neighbors that are next to us our extended family What does faith, love, and hope look like in our relationships with the people who are closest to us? What does it look like for us to trust Jesus together, to put all of our trust in who Jesus is and what Jesus says about who we are? What does it look like to experience and share the love of Jesus 
with each other? What does it look like for us to hold on to hope together in the midst of difficult times as we recognise what Jesus has done and what Jesus is going to do? Some of us aren't able to work at the moment because of the lockdown, but for those of us who are working, for those of us who are able to still go and serve in different places and be able to volunteer, uh, for those of us who our normal role is household duties and so that hasn't changed whatsoever, what does it look like for us to live out faith, hope and love in the midst of our work, our volunteering, our household duties? What does that look like? And this might be something you want to think about now, but also uh, once lockdown ends. What does it mean to put my trust in Jesus in my workplace, in the focus of what my work is, in the volunteering roles that I'm a part of? What does it look like for me to hold on to those things in the way that we live in our households, in the way that we focus on the priorities that we've got? What does the love of Jesus look like in a workplace, in the way that I volunteer in my household? What does it look like for me to be a person of hope, especially at the moment in the midst of everything that's going on, to be able to speak messages of hope to the people who so desperately need it in my workplace or that I volunteer with or the people who might be struggling who are a part of my family? You might be able to think of some other options about the sorts of places where you can apply these themes of faith, love and hope. And so I want to give you an opportunity to be able to do that. If you're watching this on your own, take some time to jot some things down on a piece of paper. What does it look like for you to live this out as we head into this week? Uh, But if you're watching with some other people, take some time to be able to connect with them and have a bit of a conversation. What does it look like for us to live these things out as we head into this week and beyond? Take some time to chat and we'll come back and we'll take some time to share communion together. So I hope that that's been helpful for you and that that's given you some things to think about as we head into this week and as we get into this series. We're going to take some time to share in communion together. So I hope that you've got some bread or crackers and some juice or some wine. 
And uh, this is the opportunity for us to be reminded that all of these elements of faith, love, and hope are represented around the time that we gather for communion. We have the opportunity to be reminded that our faith, our trust, is something that is definite and concrete. We don't have to just kind of hope in Jesus or wishfully think about Jesus. We know that we can trust him because of what we reflect on around the communion table. We know that we have experienced the love of Jesus in an incredibly profound way through his life, death, and resurrection. And we know that we've got a sense of hope in Jesus because of what he has done for us. And so communion is the opportunity for us to pause and to reflect and to remember that. But it's also the opportunity for us to remind ourselves that because of Jesus, we're empowered to live with faith, love, and hope at the core of who we are. It's not up to us to have to try hard enough, to work hard enough, to prove ourselves or anything else in order to live these things out. We simply receive what's been given to us and then we pass that on to others. That's what communion is all about. Being able to be reminded about what Jesus has done for us and then to do something symbolic that reminds us that Jesus is here with us, that Jesus is here for us and that Jesus empowers us to live the way that he calls us to live. Our trust is in Jesus. Our love flows from Jesus. Our hope is in Jesus. The bread or the crackers remind us that Jesus gave himself fully for the mission that God had for him. That Jesus came to live a life that was filled with faith, love and hope. In the way that he lived, we're reminded. And in the way that he died, we are reminded of just how much Jesus sacrificed for us. The juice then reminds us that Jesus' blood was poured out for us as that final sacrifice. So it's no longer about what we have to do. It's about what he has done for us. So I want to encourage you to take some time uh, to pause, to reflect, to eat, and to drink when you're ready. And as you do, to remind yourself that we're doing this together, that we join together with all of the other people who are watching this with each other, the people who are at home taking some time to share in this, the people who are part of other churches that even though they can't gather, are eating and drinking together. We're reminded that this joins us together to Jesus' bigger family where we all choose to live out faith, love and hope. So let me pray and then we can take some time to be able to reflect together. Jesus, we are so grateful that you came to give us the opportunity to live by faith and love and hope. We thank you that our trust in you is something that is concrete and real. That we have the ability to trust in you because of the way that we saw you live your life, because of your death, because of your resurrection. We thank you that we have the opportunity to share your love because you pour so much of your love into our lives. And we thank you that we have the opportunity to hold on to hope, especially when we're going through difficult times like we are at the moment because of all that you have done for us and all that you are going to do for us. We thank you for the beginning of this series and the opportunity for us to reflect on what a healthy church looks like and these amazing Thessalonian people who so clearly caught your message and understood what it looked like to live that out and because of that resonated your message into the communities around them. We yearn for that as well. And so as we pause and take this time to remember you, to celebrate you, and to be filled up by you, we pray that you would help us to know that you're here with us and that you would give us everything that we need to live by faith and love and hope. In your name we pray. Amen.